Peace be upon you. In January 2007, in the subway of Washington, D.C., a relatively ordinary-looking individual wearing jeans and a baseball cap pulls out a $3.5 million Stradivarius violin and proceeds to play one of the most elaborate, complicated pieces uh, that can be performed on that instrument. And this individual, his name was Joshua Bell, and he was conducting a social experiment. The social experiment was how many people during rush hour are going to stop and listen to him perform this piece. And keep in mind that people travel all over the world, pay you know hundreds if not thousands of dollars to watch Joshua Bell perform in uh, you know centers. And now that everyone had access to it for free, but without all the glitz and glam, how many people actually stop to listen? And surprisingly enough, no one did. And it took some time until finally someone recognized him. And once they stopped, other people stopped and eventually a crowd formed. But this is a very powerful social experiment of how we basically attribute value to something. And more often than not, the value that we attribute to something is very um, generic. We don't see things for the real value. And think about it in the context of the message. God describes the message in the Quran as more valuable for those who uphold it than an earth full of gold. In 391, it reads, Those who disbelieve and die as disbelievers, an earth full of gold will not be accepted from any of them, even if such a ransom were possible. They have incurred painful retribution. They have no helpers. In 536, it says the cost of disbelief. Certainly those who disbelieve, if they possess everything on earth, even twice as much, and offered it as ransom to spare them the retribution on that day of resurrection, it would not be accepted from them. They have incurred a painful retribution. And you think about this, that this message that God bestowed to us with the mathematical code authenticating every single letter and every single word of this Quran, validating it, that is from our Creator. How does the average person react to this message? Are they as enthused as finding, you know, an earth full of gold? Or are they just so kind of mild-mannered and passive and just disregarding of this message? And more often than not, you see the later, right? Otherwise, we would have people in throngs embracing the message. And the irony of this is, you know, someone might ask, why, why is it set up like this, you know? But it's not, this is the way that it's conducted throughout history. Every single time a messenger comes, delivers a message, the vast majority of the people either disregard it or are uh, annoyed by it or mock it or ridicule it. And it takes some time for people to actually realize and start valuing the message for what it is. You look at the time of Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples. And it wasn't until, you know, over 100 years before people started embracing the religion in throngs before it was severely corrupted. And you look at, say, for instance, uh, Moses. Moses went to the children of Israel. And after they were uh, tested and um, they were asked to basically enter Jerusalem, only two individuals stuck with Moses and entered Jerusalem. And the rest of them said, no, we're not going to enter. Uh, not until basically the, uh, the individuals that are already living there uh, would leave. And it's such a rarity to find someone who gets the message unadulterated and accepts it full-heartedly without this, the glitz and the glam of uh, what typically is associated with something of value.
And I think about my own personal case when I first came to the message. You know, I went to Quran studies in uh, industrial warehouses where, you know, groups of people would gather to study God's message. And when you tell people that we're here to study God's message and you try to invite someone new, the first thing they're thinking is that if this really is the message of God, I'm going to enter the most elaborate, architecturally designed building with gold columns and just like, you know, uh, all this glitz and glam and all this, uh, this vanity at the end of the day. And you have to ask yourself, why is it set up in such a way that the first generation of people, it's never, in essence, displayed in, uh, in such a manner that you would expect to give the real value of what it is that God bestowed upon the people. The first generation, God tells us in the Quran, that we basically have more credit or the opportunity to reach a higher rank than those who basically come after the victory. And one of the verses, let me pull this up really quick, is in chapter 56, starting from uh, 10. It says, Then there is the elite of the elite. They are those who will be closest to God in gardens of bliss, many from the first generations, few from the later generations. On luxurious furnishings, enjoying everything, they will be neighbors. And if you see here, it says many from the first generations, few from later generations. And the first generation the messenger describes is the, the generation, the first generation that accepts the message. Before it goes mainstream, before it's the hip and cool thing to do, those individuals who accept the message are more likely to make it into the high heaven. And why is that? It's because they see it for what it truly is. And they're not biased by the value that others are putting on top of it. There's an example in, that took place in New York. One day, Elizabeth Gibson was walking down a street in, in uh, Manhattan's Upper West Side and spied on a piece of art wedged between two garbage bags. She was tempted to walk away, but after debating with herself, decided to take it and bring it home. So you, you put yourself into her position. She sees this art wedged in between two garbage bags. Now the average person who walked by this, and this is a very populated area, was like, oh, if it was really valuable, it wouldn't be in the trash. This must be garbage because that's where garbage belongs, in a trash. Well, surprisingly, this painting ended up being uh, painted by a renowned Mexican artist, Rufino uh, Tameo, and ended up being auctioned for over a million dollars. Now you think about that, the debate that she probably had to go through in her mind to put herself to say, look, I understand that this art, this piece of work is sitting in the trash, but I don't see trash. I see something that's beautiful and I'm going to kill my ego and I'm going to pull this out and I'm going to appreciate it for what it is and take out that framing of the surrounding and seeing it for what it truly is. And you see that when we do this, this proves the authenticity of our belief. I remember when I was in uh, college, I took a philosophy of science class. And the uh, professor made a very, you know, typical arrogant atheist argument saying uh, there is no uh, proof of God's existence. And first off, the, the, the reason for the arrogance of that statement is that's assessing that she's actually went in research and looked at all the proof and came to the conclusion that proof does not exist. Now, obviously, there is a reality beyond what we know. 
So that's her first first folly. But the second was, at the time, I had a box of Qurans in my car. And I was thinking, what would be her response if I told her that, oh, you want proof of God's existence? You want proofs of God's message to the human population? It's sitting in the backseat of my Honda Civic. What would be her response? You know, would it be the fact that, hey, let me take heed. Let me see what this is about. Or would she already automatically write it off because it doesn't come on, you know, a, uh, a golden chariot being carried by the angels or some, you know, other absurd uh, request. And in 653, it reads, We thus test the people by each other to let them say mockingly, Are these the people among us who are blessed by God? Is God not aware of the appreciative ones? And in 1054, it reads, What price faith? If any wicked soul possess everything on earth, it would readily offer it as ransom. They will be ridden with remorse when they see the retribution. They will be judged equitably without the least injustice. And you think about this, you know, we get the message, it's in ink and paper. And people are expecting that, you know, an angel is going to come down with a halo and hand it to them. And God wants to test us by giving it in such simplicity to see how do we react to this? How do we behave when we receive this message? Do we see it for what it really is? Or are we automatically going to frame it? through the context that we see it. We say, oh, this paper is flimsy. This website is poorly designed. This podcast is <laughs> professionally edited. <laughs> and write it off as opposed to listening to what is this message. And we see this a lot in the example when the messenger comes and delivers the message and what the people's response is when they, uh, they receive the message. Eleven twelve. God's revelation is heavy. You may wish to disregard some of that which is revealed to you, and you may be annoyed by it. Also, they may say, how come no treasure comes down to him or an angel? You're only a warner. God controls all things. 25.7, typical utterances of disbelievers. And they said, how come this messenger eats the food and walks in the markets? If only an angel could come down with him to serve with him as a preacher. Or if only a treasure could be given to him. Or if only he could possess an orchard from which he eats. The transgressors also said, you are falling a bewitched man. Note how they called you all kinds of name and how this led them astray, never to find their way back. 2520, the messengers are just human beings. We did not send any messenger before you who did not eat food and walk in the markets. We thus test you by each other. Will you steadfastly persevere? Your Lord is seer. So you think about this, that people have this connotation of what, you know, this belief of what the messenger is going to be like. He's going to be this mystical, larger-than-life individual. Uh, he's going to come with, you know, uh, the angels behind him, and he's going to be 10 feet tall. And just, you know, that's their vision. What they don't take in consideration is that every messenger, they were just ordinary human beings. They looked just like the rest of us. They shopped in the market just like the rest of us. They ate the same food just like the rest of us. The only difference is they were authorized by God to give a very deliberate message from the Creator to mankind. Yet, when we look at the, them as opposed to taking the message that's portrayed through them, we look at them and we judge them. And we try to elevate them to a status that you know, is more acceptable for our liking. And you see this after the messengers die, that constantly, you know, they, 
they uh, idolize them they uh, they they create them larger than life as if they had this glow and aura around them when you see in actuality every single time actually with the exception of Jonah every example we have when the messenger came the vast majority of people disbelieved we see the example of Moses it says uh, 43 51 through 54 it says Pharaoh announced to his people oh my people do I not possess the kingship over Egypt and these flowing rivers belong to me do you not see which one is better me or that one who is lowly and can hardly speak how come he does not possess a treasure of gold? How come the angels do not accompany him? He thus fooled his people and they obeyed him. They were wicked people. Now you see this, that Pharaoh, God gave him all this authority, gave him uh, authority over Egypt. And when God sends his messenger, as opposed to recognizing the message that's being delivered, he's equating the message with the person who's delivering it. And God specifically selected Moses, who, according to the Quran, had a speech impediment. He lost his temper. He had certain quirks about him. That God wanted that individual, wanted Moses to be the one to deliver it to Pharaoh. Because you know that if Pharaoh believed, it wasn't because of the eloquence. It wasn't because oh, Moses was so prominent. This was an individual who killed another, fled for his life, and came back to Egypt. And the test was to see, would people believe it strictly on the message and not the wrapping that it came into? There's the expression, don't judge a book by its cover. And it's the exact same thing with the Quran. You know, people all over the world, they demonize this book. They, they attribute all kinds of lies and disgust to it. And how is it, especially if you don't come from a Muslim Islamic background, when you tell someone that I'm reading the Quran, I'm studying the Quran, they look at you, they, they judge you. And this is to basically differentiate those who truly believe out of faith and reverence for God versus those who are believing because it's the hip and cool thing to do. I remember being in high school and uh, all the kids, they would love to go to you know, uh, church and uh, they would have these youth groups. And the reason they went was because other kids went. It's not because they necessarily believed in the message, but they saw that this is what the cool kids are doing and they just followed along. And you realize that when you're doing something out of true reverence, out of true belief, you do it irrespective of what others think of you, irrespective of how it appears, because you value it for what it really is. Another example is in Saul. In 2.246 and 2.47 reads, Have you noted the leaders of Israel after Moses? They said to their prophet, If you appoint a king to lead us, we will fight in the cause of God. He said, is it your intention that if fighting is decreed for you, you will not fight? They said, why should we not fight in the cause of God when we have been deprived of our homes and our children? Yet when fighting was decreed for them, they turned away except a few. God is aware of the transgressors. Questioning God's wisdom, 2.247. Their prophet said to them, God has appointed Talut Saul to be your king. They said, how can we, he have kingship over us when we are more worthy of kingship than he? He's not even rich. He said, God has chosen him over you and has placed with him an abundance in knowledge and in body. God grants his kingship to whomever he wills. God is bounteous, omniscient. And you see this. These people, they're imploring. First, they were, uh, Samuel came and rid the, the corrupt leaders from this community. And as opposed to being appreciative and happy for God, they implore uh, actually Samuel to have a ruler rule over them. And... Um, when God gives the response of who the ruler is going to be, 
that it's going to be Saul. The people's response was that this individual isn't even rich. You know, how could he have kingship? How could he be in a prominent position than us? He's not even rich. And you see how quick that people, in essence, jump to what, what it's like. We even see the example of Muhammad when uh, the, uh, the blind came to him. Let's see if I can pull that up really quick. So this is uh, chapter 80. It says, In the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, he, Muhammad, frowned and turned away when the blind man came to him. How do you know? He may purify himself, or he may take heed and benefit from the message. As for the rich man, you gave him your attention, even though you could not guarantee his salvation. The one who came to you eagerly and is really reverent, you ignored him. Indeed, this is a reminder. Whoever wills shall take heed. And you see, even the messengers, they're vulnerable to this. You know, this is something that the human being, as human beings, we need to basically uh, grow beyond. We need to elevate ourselves to be able to see the real value in what God has bestowed upon us. And in 955, it reads, you know, it's in regards to this, uh, the worldly success. Do not be impressed by their money or their children. God causes these to be sources of retribution for them in this life. And when they die, their souls depart while they are disbelievers. 985, worldly materials are nil. Do not be impressed by their money or their children. God causes these to be sources of misery for them in this world. And their souls depart as disbelievers. And we see the example of Karun, the slave driver. It's 2876. says, Karun, the slave driver, was one of Moses' people who betrayed them and oppressed them. We gave him so many treasures that the keys thereof were almost too heavy for the strongest band. His people said to him, Do not be so arrogant. God does not love those who are arrogant. Use the provisions bestowed upon you by God to seek the abode of the hereafter without neglecting your share in this world. Be charitable, as God has been charitable towards you. Do not keep on corrupting the earth. Do not love the, God does not love the corruptors. He said, so this is Karun's response, I attained all this because of my own cleverness. Did he not realize that God has annihilated before him generations that were much stronger than he in greater number? The annihilated transgressors were not asked about their crimes. One day he came to his people in full splendor. Those who preferred this worldly life said, Oh, we wish that we possess what Karun has attained. Indeed, he is very fortunate. The real wealth, 2880. As for those who were blessed with knowledge, they said, Woe to you! God's recompense is far better for those who believe and lead a righteous life. None attains this except the steadfast, the tyrant's inevitable fate, 2081. We then caused the earth to swallow him and his mansion. No army could have helped him against God. He was not destined to be a winner. Those who were envious of him the day before said, Now we realize that God is the one who provides for whomever he chooses from among his servants and withholds. If we're not for God's grace towards us, he could have caused the earth to swallow us too. We now realize that the disbelievers never succeed. And we see this example continuously, you know, in, in our day-to-day -day life. How the individuals who are glamorized, who have the, the, the fame, the celebrity status, the money, uh, everyone envies to be like them, to be with them. And we realize that these are all vanities. They're meaningless. That if you don't have true happiness that comes absolutely 100% only from worshiping God, that you have realistically nothing. Because anything that you have of this world, you're not going to be carrying it with you in the hereafter. 
there's a saying that says that the last coat you wear, you're not going to need any pockets, right? Look at the Egyptians. When they died, they had all their wealth buried with them. And where are they? They're dead. All that wealth, all the, 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 the lives that were lost building those pyramids, for what? For nothing. So we can basically, Godling, reflect and realize that this world is our last chance to be redeemed. That the only purpose of this world is to glorify God, to basically be uh, come close to God, to, to, to see our shortcomings and to fix them. In a 57, 10 through 11, it's a special honor. Why do you not spend in the cause of God when God possesses all wealth in the heavens and the earth? Distinguished from the rest are those among you who spend before the victory and strive. They attain a greater rank than those who spend after the victory and strive. For each God promises salvation. God is cognizant of everything you do. Who would like to lend God a loan of righteousness to have it multiplied for him manifold and end up with a generous recompense? And there it is. There it is. Those who strive before the victory. Imagine being one of Jesus' disciples. Imagine being one of Moses's, uh, one of the two who believed with Moses. Just imagine the level of credit that you can achieve by coming to the message early, before it's mainstream. And I guarantee you, God guarantees it's going to be mainstream. It's a matter of time before everyone comes to submission. The, the challenge is those who come after the victory and strive, it's, uh, they're won't be on the same level as those who came before it was mainstream, before it was popular, before it was the hip and cool thing to do. Uh, they won't be able to uh, have the same level of credit because it's going to be differentiated for us. Those who come to this message, while it's still in its infancy, while it's still in the, the outskirts of the internet, while it's still being mocked and ridiculed by the masses, they are going to have a lot greater reward and prove the strength in their faith. And it's something to be absolutely appreciative for. And it's something to be very, very uh, optimistic about. God willing, we're going to end there. Uh, if anyone has any comments, questions, feel free to email us at Korantalk at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter, hashtag Korantalk, at TalkQuran. Until next time, peace and God bless.